Yeah, there you go. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you turn with us this morning to Joshua, the first chapter? We're going to read a little bit out of, out of this book uh, this morning. But, you know, I, I believe we're living in the last days. Uh, I tro uh, totally believe that uh, the Lord is soon coming. And I know we've heard this ever since I was a little boy. And probably some of you can attest to the same thing. But nevertheless, regardless of how long we've heard it, how often we've heard it, it does not change the fact that the Bible declares the Lord is going to return after a people that have made themselves ready. Amen? After a people that are involved in doing His work and carrying on in His service. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those doing that and found faithful in my Lord. If you'll look here in Joshua, the first chapter, uh, look at verse number one. The Bible said, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, My servant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over the Jordan, thou and all of this people unto the land which I do give to thee, even to the children of Israel. Now, first of all, I want you to know that the children of Israel had come just out of the wilderness. They were standing at the threshold of the promised land, the land that God had promised unto Abraham, unto Isaac, unto Jacob, all through Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, God had conversed with mankind about a special place of milk and honey that he had for them. And it would be theirs, and he would see that they could have it. It would not be difficult. It would not be an impossibility to attain. Now, because of their lack of faith, the Bible says that once they came out of the wilderness, that, or rather out of Egypt, that because of their lack of faith, they wandered 40 years in a wilderness. Amen? And so it was now that the old crowd, uh, the doubters, had all died off, and now a new generation was rising up. And they were standing on the threshold of crossing over into the promised land, that which God had promised them. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says that just as they were leaving one, getting ready to go into the other, their leader, Moses, died. Joshua, a new man, not new, but uh, had never led before. Uh, Moses' assistant or Moses' uh, uh, general uh, now steps up and takes that place. And so for 30 days... 30 days was the time, according to the Bible, that they were allotted to mourn for the dead. The Bible said in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, you could read this if you wanted when you go home, 34, verse 8, And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And therefore... 
what it was saying is God says you can have 30 days. You can take off 30 days to weep and to mourn for the loss of Moses. I know he was special. I know he meant a lot to you. I know that you were very near and dear to him. But once 30 days has passed, it's over. You pick up, you dry your eyes, you wash your face, you gird up yourself and get ready because when the 30 days are over, it's time to go over to your inheritance. Now, the River Jordan at this time was out of banks. This river that they were crossing was a river that was just wild at this point in time. And I thought about this. For 30 days while they were mourning for Moses, they were also looking and anticipating what was going to come at the close of 30 days. Here's a river that's out of boundary and just spread out like a lake. And they were going to be expected to cross that. I'm sure that there was some apprehension. I'm sure there were some concerns that began to rise up in them as they faced these troubled waters. And they thought about here, we're leaving Moses behind. He's dead. We've got a new man at the helm. And we're going to have to cross this. I'm just not so sure about this. And I think, now I could be wrong, but I think that Sister Rhonda, the same situation that evolved when they stood before this promised land the last time, 40 years before, is the same spirit that began to work on them now. They were beginning to have a little bit of fear, a little bit of concern, a little bit, what's this going to be like? How's this new man Joshua going to work out? And how are we going to get across this water? And what's going to be over there when we get over there? Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, God knows all about everything that we're facing. All of these that are sick, he knows about what you're facing. All of these that have lost loved ones and wondering what tomorrow's going to hold, God knows what you're facing. Nothing crosses our table that God is not aware of and understands. He's got the answers for everything. The greatest thing that we can do is trust in him. The greatest thing we can do is lean upon him. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but thank God I do know who holds tomorrow. I don't know what's going to come next week, but I know who's in control of next week. And so what we've got to do today more than ever before is learn to lean on the Lord and cling to his promises. If we allow doubt, if we allow fear, if we allow skepticism to enter in to our view, our vision, our life, it will hinder us and rob us from being able to receive all God has for us. God said this is a land of milk and honey. And because God was aware of maybe what was going on in the hearts and the minds of these people, he continued on, starting in verse 3, chapter 1 of Joshua again. He continued on, and he gave them hope. He gave them encouragement. And he said, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, 
verse number four. Hallelujah. This is what I want to talk to you about. All of this God did for them, reminding them, encouraging them, wanting to bless them. And I tell you, it's no different today. We sit around sometimes and we just kind of walk through life and, and enjoy a few little meager things. Uh, uh, we go to church, we go home, we do this, we do that. And I'm going to tell you, people, we've not scratched the surface on what God wants to do for his church. Yes. We're living in the last days. And God says it's time to rise and shine. It's time to rise and be about the Father's business. Don't let the rivers uh, that are out of banks uh, cause you to be hindered. Uh, don't let the giants of adversity cause you to be stifled. Uh, don't let anything uh, that the devil can cough up cause you uh, to keep from working uh, and living uh, in the blessings of God. Yes, sir. God said there's untold blessings out there for you. You just need to recognize it, realize it, and press forward. In this description of verse number four in chapter one, Joshua reads it off, or God quotes it to him, and he rehearses it to them. J. Vernon McGee, Rod Mattoon, and several other writers that have been over in the Holy Land in different places, they did a study on this. And the description of the landmass that Joshua shares with the people contained 300,000 square miles. That's how big it was, somewhere in that area. You say, well, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Well, just, just for your understanding, when you go home, get you a map of the U.S. You get a map of the United States, and you look over about middle ways, a little bit to the west of middle, and you're going to see a place called Texas. Texas is 268,600 square miles. So what God promised Israel would be just a little bit larger than what Texas was. Hmm. Did you know that South Carolina, Sister Rhonda, is roughly 32,000 square miles? And it's coverage. Now, it seems pretty big when you're driving from one end to the other. But when you're driving from, from the north, the east side of Texas to the west side, it's a thousand and some miles. Did you know when we lived in Houston, it was quicker for me to come to my daughter's house in Anderson, South Carolina, than it was to go to El Paso to visit church. And to come to her house, you cross Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, and part of South Carolina. But what I'm telling you is what God had promised them was just almost unfathomable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just almost uh, incomprehensible. He said, you've got land galore, and every one of you is going to have your own section. Uh, you're going to have houses that you didn't build. You're going to have vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to be blessed out of this imagination. You, you can't even uh, gather in your mind what's waiting for you over there. All of this was there. 
stack it up $10 million over there, and you go over and say, hey, give me $100, and I think I can live off of that. <laughs> huh? Yeah. You say, well, boy, I sure wish I had a little more money to, to, to buy some soup or to buy some uh, something to eat. Hey, it's there waiting for you. Yes. All you got to do is go get it. Amen. God says it's yours. Yes. It's yours. Listen, there was a fellow by the name of John back in the early 1900s that lived in England. John was a young man who, like a lot of young men, was restless, didn't like being at home, didn't like living uh, in, in that dull, drag little village that they lived in. His favorite thing was in the summers, he would go spend with his uncle out on his big, sprawling estate in the country. Well, when John graduated from school, he said, I'm tired of this. He said, I'm, I'm going to the United States. I want to see some of those things that I've only read about. John came to the United States. He, by himself, he landed, and he said, I want to go to, to Chicago. Chicago, a town of life. When he got to Chicago, he wrote his family and said, this is the greatest place on earth. It never sleeps. It's something going on all the time. I love it. It's wonderful. I'm so glad I came. One or two letters went back home to England stating those things, and then they heard nothing from John. Then they lost track of where John was. They'd write John, but he never responded. About four years later, John's uncle that had the large, sprawling estate died. He left everything to his favorite nephew, John. All of that massive land, that, that big farm was John's. Five million dollars was left to John. All they had to do was get a hold of John. Hmm. Nobody knew where John was. No, no recent letters, no addresses. Never responded to the old address where he once was. So they contacted Scotland Yard and they sent them over to get John, to find John and tell him that he was now a multimillionaire, had more than he could ever dream. They went over to Chicago, got the, the, the police chief of Chicago. They began to search. They had no ID on John, no fingerprints, no pictures. They had nothing there of John on their records. They went everywhere they could think of. They couldn't find John. Where was John at? John was nowhere to be found. So finally, close to Christmas, they went back home to relate to the family. We don't know where John is. About three to six months later, they got a telegram from the chief of police. And they said, we finally found John. And of course, the family wanted to know where John at. Said when we found him, he was sitting in a doorway behind a $2 a night motel, froze to death. Froze to death. John was a millionaire. John could have bought that hotel and 50 more just like him. He had land untold. He was beyond your wildest imagination of rich. And John died in, in a flop house. Couldn't even afford a $2 room to get out of the cold. And died sitting in the doorway. 
And I look around sometimes and I wonder, how far are we away from John? We complain. We've got it so hard. Things are so bad. We're just barely getting by. Uh, we want to uh, kind of question God sometimes about some things. But God told them, he said, hey, if you'll trust me, you can have everything that your foot sets on. If you will trust me and obey me, there won't be anyone or anything that can hinder you. All you've got to do is march in and take it over. You can do it. I will be with you. Just like I delivered you from Egypt, so will I deliver you from all of these others. But my friend, according to the Bible, this was not the case. Just like a lot of people today, they lived far beneath their privilege because their faith was overcome oftentimes by what they see or by their circumstances. I know that it's never a pleasant thing. Yes. I preached I don't know how many times in the lower part of the state at little churches down there running revival. And I had acknowledged, and I thought about it a few years ago when it came to me, but I had uh, preached down there that I don't know how you would feel when the doctor come in and said, you've got cancer. I said, I can't imagine how that would be. But then I went on. But you know, it was what, five years ago, something like that? The doctor came in and he said, well, Mr. Shaw, your tests have come back positive and you've got cancer. Now, you know, you say, well, ain't no big thing. But it's a lot bigger when they tell you, tell you than it is when they tell somebody else. And you, you, you can say what you want to, but in the wee hours of the morning, that thing runs around in your mind. Is what's the outcome of this thing going to be? But what you've got to do is trust God. You've got to say, hey, God, if I go, I go. If I don't, it's still all right. Either way, Lord, I'm going to trust you. When we start wading out in the water, uh, we don't know how deep it's going to be, and we don't know what's going to happen, but we're trusting you. And you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, and you'll wait right there with us. You will not abandon us. And, folks, I'm going to tell you, whatever you're facing today, whatever your circumstances is, that same God is going to be with you. He'll be right there to sustain you. He'll be right there to see you through. And the things that he promises you will be waiting for you on the other side if we'll only trust him, lean upon him. Hallelujah. The Bible says that they went over into the promised land, but Moses had passed. Now in the first book, uh, first chapter of Judges, the Bible says that now, now we find that Joshua has passed. And I want, I want you to look at something here. Because this is what we've got to fight against. We've got to fight that battle that's going on in our mind. We've got to understand that we can't always go on what things look like. We can't always go on what the devil whispers into our ear. But 
we've got to be anchored in Jesus. We've got to have our confidence in him. The devil says, you can't live for God. But Jesus said that all things are possible. Paul said, I can do it. I can do it through the grace and the strength of my Lord and Savior. And if I can do it, you can do it. All things are possible. You can live for God. You can serve God. You can overcome addictions. You can be healed. You can be delivered. My God is still the same. And he said, if you'll be obedient, and if you'll obey my word and be faithful, I will take care of you. The Bible says in Judges that now we find Joshua has died. Verse number two, well, verse number one, the question was asked now that Joshua was gone. They said, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said unto Judah, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land. Now listen, I have delivered the land into his hands. God said, it's yours. You go up, you lead the battle. It's going to be your victory. And look at what is said in the next verse. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me. Huh? You see that? Come up with me. God said, you're going to lead the battle. I'm going to be with you. And you're going to win the victory because I'm going to see you win it. And then he turns around and he says, I know what he said, but hey, would you go with me? <laughs> what does that imply? That implies a lack of faith. It implies I'm not so sure about this. I'm not sure that I can trust my God. I'm not sure if he really means that, that I'm going to be able to do it or not. My friend, that element was still there. And that element, we still struggle with it today. Uh, we just cannot seem to break away from that weakness in the flesh. Uh, we have got to find a place with God until we can say, Lord, uh, I trust you. Uh, and when we can open up and trust him completely, it is untold what can happen for God's people. I was impressed when I came in this morning. Couldn't believe how things had changed. And at one time, this little church was back in a place that nobody knew about. Nobody would even really want to come to. And I thought when they come in, man, this is like a super highway coming into the church now. You got a red light out there to help you turn. You got a gas station. You got, man, you, you're almost uptown. And I thought, oh, God, you're so good. But how many times have we walked away, Sister Rhonda, over the years, and we said, well, just a poor place to be. Building ain't no good. Nobody here, this, that, something else. And we just walk away, throw up our hands, and we quit. And we say, it just can't happen. My friend, if that's your mindset for you, it'll never happen. If you think in your mind you can't be saved, you'll never be saved. 
If you're telling yourself, I can't be healed, God can't handle my situation, then, my friend, you will have to lug it around with you until he calls you home. But I'm telling you, God is saying to us today, don't be influenced by what you see or what you hear, but let your faith and your confidence be in me, for I am God, and I have promised these things to you. I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. Joshua, I think that he, after some time, well, you know, let, let me just read a few verses of Scripture here. Uh, you girls are putting them up on the board. Go to the 18th chapter, girls, and put up there verse number 2 and verse number 3. And let's read that. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, seven tribes which had not received their inheritance. Now listen to this. Seven, seven, you know, it's kind of like today. People stand around, oh, I ain't got nothing to do. I ain't got a job. I can't find any work. You know, I, I just stand around with my arms folded. Standing around, seven tribes. And, and they said, uh, we haven't received our inheritance yet. What's for us? What are you going to give us? And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are ye slack to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? How long are you going to just sit around and wait for somebody to do it for you? God said, if you go, he will go with you. He said, where your foot plants, that's what you're going to get. Not where my foot's been, but where you plant your feet, where you get involved and you do something, uh, that's when I'm going to bless you. You can't get saved if you don't pray. You can't advance, you can't get strong, you can't build your faith, you can't build your relationship with God if you don't ever pray through the day, if you don't ever read your Bible, if you don't ever go to church. My friend, it's going to require you doing some things if you're going to be successful in this race. Uh, you can't never win your family if you don't set a good godly example before them. You can't never influence people on the job if you're always critical and you're always fussing and you're always carrying on like the world. God says you've got to get involved. And they said, well, what you going to give us? And I guess he could have said, I ain't giving you nothing. And God's not going to give you nothing if you don't get plugged up and get involved. Finally, finally, girls, go with me to the 24th chapter. We're just hitting and missing, I guess. But go with me to the 24th chapter in verse 15. And look here. This, this, I think that is what motivated Joshua to say what he said. Look at verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And he said, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, the heathen gods, the false gods, the hypocrite gods, or the god of the Amorites which the enemy served, uh, in whose land you dwelt, he said, I, I don't care. He said, uh, you know, I, I brought you here. God's done everything for you. It's up to you now. You've got to make a choice. 
You've got to make a decision. He said, choose you this day. He said, but I'm telling you this, guys. You can do what you want to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We got to make a stand, folks. We got to draw a, sand, a line in the sand and say, this is it. We don't go any farther. I don't care if society's doing it. I don't care what they say about it. I will not go contrary to what the Bible says. You can teach what you want to in school. You can say what you want to. You can vote what you want to. You can pass what you want to. But I will not go any farther than what God's word says. On that I stand. I will not bend. I will not bow. And by the grace of God, I will not burn. So we find that Joshua said, guys, this is it. Joshua died. They came along and they said, well, who's going to go up and fight for us? And we see that weakness begin to surface again. Now, this is all I'm going to read and with this I'm going to quit. But girls, if you can do it, well, don't, don't worry about it. It's all right. But in that first chapter, verse number 19, how long does it take you guys to get that hooked up? Judges chapter 1, verse number 19. If you can't do it, it's all right. Let me just read it. The latter part of verse 19 says, uh, talking about Judah, that Judah did go. And it said they drove, they drove or they drove out the inhabitants of the mountains, but but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. So what it was saying is that Judah did not drive the enemy out of their land, but they had to make a concession, and they had to learn to live at peace with them and have the enemy in the same house. Verse 22 says, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites from Jerusalem. And then in verse 27, it said, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Beth Sheen from her town. Verse 22 said, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. Uh, verse 30 said, Neither did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. 31 says, Neither did Asher Drive out the inhabitants of Acho. Acho. And last verse, 33, neither did Nephthalia drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. And for Dan, the last one, Dan couldn't even run them out of the plains. They drove them up in the mountains, and they couldn't come down to the fertile valleys and farm and harvest their crops and things like that. They had to live up in the mountains. And so what we find is the bottom line, guys, that they were pretty much failures all the way through. Failures all the way through. You say, what was the problem? The problem was their fear. The Bible said in Timothy, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. God wants us to believe in his power, to love one another, to work together, and, and to trust him that he will 
take care of his people. He will do for us what we can't do. Someone said, well, looks like the church ain't never going to grow. My friend, there's not a power on earth that can hinder this building from being full if we can get plugged in and get a hold of God. Amen. Don't look at the empty pews, uh, but look at the harvest all around us and, and say there are people all over Lexington uh, that need what we have right here. You've got family all over Lexington and various places that needs to be right here with you. Amen. They need to be plugged into this thing. My friend, this is the only thing that's going to matter. This life's soon going to be over. We're all going to be hurled out of here. We're going to be brought before the Lord. And I don't want any of my family. I don't want any of my friends. I don't want anyone that I've crossed their path in life to be lost because I failed. Or I didn't think that they would live for God. Or I didn't think they would fit in. Or that they would work out. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. God is still in the saving business. God is still able to sanctify his people. He's still able to baptize them with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's still able to heal. He's still able to grow churches. He's still able to send revival. He's still able to provide for you. Uh, he can put broken homes back together. Uh, he can restore minds. Uh, he can restore health. There's nothing that my God can't do. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? I want you to stand with me. Sister Rhonda renders some music for us.